Welcome to the world of thoroughbred racing on the Equisport Radio Network. Alidar's got a lead. Alidar put ahead in front, right in the middle of the stretch. It's Alidar and Affirm battling back along the inside. We'll test these two to the wire. Affirmed under a left-hand whip. Alidar on the outside driving. Affirmed and Alidar heads apart. Affirm's got a nose in front as he come on to the wire. And down the stretch they come. On the outside, it's Sunday Silence. Easy goer with Pat Day. Back to challenge. Heads apart. Easy goer on the inside with a slight lead. On the outside, Sunday Silence. The rest of them far back. Here's the finish of the Preakness. Sunday Silence and easy goer. Photo finish. Noses apart. She's starting to pick them off, though. Zenyatta going to hook to the outside. Meanwhile, it's Colonel John Summerbird in the red cap. And Zenyatta's come to the outside. Zenyatta coming flying on the grandstand side. Gio Ponti on the inside. Summerbird is right there. This is unbelievable. Zenyatta, what a performance. What we'll never And now, your host, Les Salzman. And good afternoon. This is Les Salzman along with Laura Allen here at the Equisport Radio Network Studios in beautiful Loxahatchee, Florida. Good afternoon, Laura. Good afternoon to you, too. We've got a really cool guest today, uh, Long Branch, New Jersey's prodigal son, other than, Joe, you're going to be sitting second to my son, Jason, who was also born there. Ah, perfect. Uh, we've got, well, I'm in we've good got the incredible jockey Joe Bravo with us. Joe, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for calling up. I'd uh, love to be on. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm I'm doing great. And Joe, you know, talking about my son, and I, when we were getting ready to put you on the show, I mentioned to you maybe we could get your dad on the show. I got I have to give you an embarrassing story to start with. Okay. All right. Let's it, go it's with a it. good embarrassing story though. So. Along with, you know, owning the farm and training courses and whatever, I own a real estate company. And in Wellington, and we have one of our offices in Wellington, Florida. And we, of course, have horse racing pictures there. And one day, a guy comes into the office, and he's just staring at the pictures. And we have, you know, Meadowlands and Mammoth pictures in Atlantic City and Garden State and Philadelphia and all that stuff. And I wasn't there. But he asks for my phone number from my secretary, and she gives him my number. And this guy calls me up, and it's your dad. And I have to tell you, I'm a proud father. Nobody is prouder of his son than your dad is of you. Oh, that makes you feel good. <laughs> Thanks. You, you, you should. He went on for about 20 minutes telling me what a great guy you are. Oh, man, I really, yeah, that's a story I didn't hear. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's true. And I told him. I don't know how great you are, but all I know is that for years I just saw your rear end in front of my horses. So <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's funny. We we we're both Jersey guys, and we came up. And Joe, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is when you first started race uh, riding, and that's what now almost forty years ago, right? Not not quite forty. Uh, I started when I was sixteen. Um... 48 now, so 30 plus. <laughs> yeah, so when you first started, you you were really one of the best gate riders in the country. You know, you, you could get on the engine, you know, they probably should have changed the Bill Daly to the Joe Bravo, right? 
And uh, now I, I watch you, and you've got such a great clock in your head, and, and you're able to time your moves so well. Does that come with experience, or what did you do to kind of balance your, your racing stuff? Well, horses always make you look in the way you are. They say there's like turf jockeys, they there's speed jockeys, and there's distance horse jockeys. But really, it's what we sit on that really makes you do that. But yes, experience helps a lot. Knowing what's going on around you is really key. You know, when you're younger, you're out there and you're just trying to boot and scoot and try to get this horse to run as fast as they can. But really, horse race is almost like a, in a boxing ring. You know how they tell boxers you go in there and you just punch out real hard and they don't laugh. They kind of put same thing with racehorses. The biggest thing, like with boxers, you get them to breathe. My biggest thing with the racehorse is getting them to breathe. You get them inside of himself and they can finish so much better. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed you'll give a horse a breather, you know, coming down the backside and, and then just, you know, pick them back up again. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, know, you just got to get them inside themselves and once you get them breathing, relaxed, and running comfortable inside themselves, man, they just really they finish so much more better underneath you. And like same thing like a boxer. When they try to be all anxious and gung-ho the first round or two, you know by the eighth to tenth round, they're, they're done. You know, is it also as the quality of the horse gets better, you have that kind of chance to do that? Of Does course. Does quality have something course. to do with that? Yeah, of course. Quality of horses really, they really class stands out, you know. Um, it's fun to deal with them type of horses, too, you know. They go out there and they're more mature, relaxed, and they know what's expected. And you know, these horses are bred to run, and uh, the quality really comes out in the bigger races. And you've been, over the last, what, 10, 15 years, you've really ridden some great horses and gotten a tremendous run out of them just glad to be part of the teams that's all um i mean good horses make you look good and uh bad ones don't <laughs> and no, that, that's uh, i'm just thankful true. to have some good people behind us uh with great agents that really helped me out along the ways a lot um and these trainers are great they put in their heart and soul in these animals they want to get the best out of them and it's fun to watch the horses grow underneath the trainer yeah speaking of growing you you started race riding when you were 13 and you're third generation so yes. you, you kind of pedigree pretty well yourself. Okay, uh, thank you. Was that something from the time you were a, a little tot uh, that you wanted to be a rider? or had Oh, that of course. Uh, all my toys when I was a kid were jockey whips, helmets, saddles, stuff like that. But I had a couple of days that I'm like, I am not doing this. These horses are crazy. <laughs> I got thrown and you got kicked, bit. And you're like, this is not for me. But you know what? It gets in your system and you love it. I mean, there's so much uh, downfall of being a rider. Um, but the thrill of going out there every day and never knowing what to expect of and trying to find the next superstar horse that's going to take you to the big races. That's, that's the fun part of my job right now is like the springtime leading up to the big races and looking at the young three-year-olds and who's going to develop into tomorrow's superstar. Uh, and you have such great energy that when you're with the young horse, you can see your exuberance on the horse. Now, let's go back to, to when you were 13, if we could. You you actually started riding in Texas. Am I correct? 
Yes, they were called match race uh, racetracks out there in Texas at the time. It was like unofficial racing uh, they had in Texas where they pull up in a trailer and they'd say, hey, I'll bet you 5,000 against your horse against my horse, and they would run quarter mile. And that's where I got a lot of uh, gate experience and just really horse knowledge, you know. So how did you wind up in Texas, though? Uh, my father was riding out east and everything. He just got too heavy to ride thoroughbreds. Uh, so he went out to quarter, uh, quarter horse racing out in Texas because they carry a heavier weight. And I was a kid at that time. We moved out there, and I was 10 years old. And I stayed there till I was uh, legal age of 16 on my 16th birthday. We moved down to South Florida to start my apprenticeship. Right. And I think you broke your maiden on St. Patrick's Day. Is that correct? Uh, I don't think it was St. Patrick. It might be. I, you know what? The date is completely foggy to me. But uh, it was a horse called Daffy Dak for Louis Oliveris. And I could be 100 years old. I remember the race because I didn't know what I was doing. I kept holding on. And I came down the lane and probably about the seven or eighth path. But the horse won. <laughs> and like you said, that's a number of years ago. And you just don't forget that, do you? No, no. It's something, you know, you really didn't realize until after the fact. Uh, you just kind of like took all the information in. And like I say, held on and do what you could to get them across the wire, and afterwards, all of it comes together. Is the feeling different now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Tell me how it's different. Uh, you learn, you know, there you just got there looking to whip and drive and go on, and you're really just going through the motions. Now it's more of a thinking game. It's uh, like playing chess a horse race, positioning to win your races or lose your races. And you're not really looking to... Let's put it like this. No jock could make a horse go faster. All they could do is slow him down by doing a lot of jumping up and down and hitting and pushing. But a horse has got his max speed. You really just try to like contain as much energy as you possibly can on the racehorse. And it's a thinking game with them and thinking what they're the horse is thinking and get them the best trip possible. Um, but for you to actually go out there and try to make them go faster, you can't. So now with, and I, I see it when you're riding and a, a lot of guys, you know, it, the thought process is there. Is it, is the thought process different now than maybe 15 or 20 years ago? In which manner? Well, are, are the horses different? Was what you have underneath you a little bit different than maybe what you had 20 years ago? Well, 20 years ago, I was riding a lot of cheaper horses, not cheaper horses, but horses are just not quality. I mean, it's, you're asking a question from 30 years ago, but I don't know if the horses changed much, but the quality of horses that they have out there today, or I have a shot to ride, let's put it like that, it's nice uh, that you don't have to worry about a horse refusing to run. When you get to the bigger races and better races, they're out there willing and wanting to do it. Uh, you go to the smaller, cheaper races, they're not you know, so willing. They're, they're out there and they're wanting to get out, wanting to lug in, not wanting to pass the horse. Um, it's fun when you got a horse that's breathing underneath you, relax, and you just got to move your fingers a little bit, and they kind of jump on the bit and take you to where you need to go. And that... That kind of feeling, that kind of acceleration has to be great. Yeah, that's why I've been doing it for so many years, and I can't wait to keep doing it for as long as I possibly can, just because it's fun to, 
be sitting there in a pocket. You see everybody's riding, and you're just, like, sitting in a Ferrari, just like, okay, time to run. Throw him a kiss, and the horse kind of gets up underneath you and does it. That, that's pretty fun feeling. The the trainers that you're riding for are a lot of those folks you've been with for years. Yes. Uh, very thankful to have the guys behind us that we do, you know. Um, it, can we talk about that a little bit? You know, because so so often jocks will ride for a guy for a year or two, and then you know the, everybody goes their own separate ways. Whether it's what what the trainer has in the barn changes, or the, the rider goes and does something. But it seems to me that not only are you you've held on to all your a lot of your jersey connections, but also some of the top guys that you were riding for. 12, 14 years ago. Uh, do you have the same? Do you have the same agent all that time, or no? We've changed agents a few times. Uh, who I have now is Jimmy Riccio now, and he's been my agent for two, three years, I would say. And Jimmy Riccio has Jose Ortiz, uh, and that helps a lot. Uh, just being able to ride horses that Jose cannot ride is a it's a big thing. But let's let's be honest, we get hired and fired every day. Yeah, it's nice when we have a relationship with a trainer, but uh, you go race by race, you get hired and fired every day. Uh, and the biggest thing a trainer could probably do is keep the same rider on a horse because knowledge is key. I mean, knowing how much of a turn of foot the horse is, if he's a grinder, um, if he's going to get up underneath you, that knowledge is could win you and lose you a lot of races. So that's why when it goes to the bigger races, you try to keep the same rider on. That's why I'll get on a plane and fly so much times to try to stick with that horse. Um, it's hard to find the good ones. You want to hold on to them nowadays. Now you put, you know, I was looking at your your last three or four months. You're kind of like where's Waldo? You know, you've been <laughs> putting the miles on. Is that tough yeah. for you? Yeah, uh, a couple weeks ago I was out in Santa Anita and I got back and I felt like I was drunk and never had a single drink the entire time. That red eye flight kills you. And as that being said, I have another red eye going out there Friday. I ride in Santa Anita on Saturday. And it, it's not, it, it is tough. And then you come back uh -huh. to Florida and, and does it take a couple of days to get get your legs back under you? Yeah, it does. But you know the great thing about a horse race, there's so much adrenaline the tiredness really goes out the back window big time when you're out there. It's just the adrenaline of you going out before you even hit the paddock. You're you're fine. But on that day off, yes, it gets you. you. You know, watching riders come out of the jocks room is almost kind of a show in, in itself because you can see the adrenaline. And I don't know how many times – you, you watch guys coming down the tunnel, and they're playing with their rubber bands. You, you know it's like that nervous thing. And yeah. at, at this stage of your career, you're saying that you still get that rush. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, it's an uncertainty, too. You're about to get on a racehorse with no uncertainty of winning, losing, or even making it back to the jocks room. Now, you've won over 5,000 races. You remembered your first. What what races really stick out in your mind as as your most memorable? 
wow, there's been some good ones. And you know what? I'll tell you, one of my most memorable wasn't even a winning the race. Uh, was getting beat. Uh, Kentucky Derby Danza. I run third to uh, California Chrome, and it wasn't even a win. And that's a race that, oh, you never get out of your head. Uh, And I'll never forget any of the races Big Blue Kitten was able to let me hang on to him because you didn't tell Big Blue Kitten to run. He drug you there. (laughs) I'm just so thankful to sit on some really good stock like that. One of my first grade ones was a horse called Formal Gold, and I'll always consider that one of the greatest races just because there was a horse in the race at the end of the year that year, got to be horse of the year, a horse called Skipaway. And the behind-the-scenes story of Skipaway, I used to breeze him every time he worked out. And well, he was got us, in the summers, right? Yes. And I, God rest his all, but Sonny never let me ride him in a race. He promised me I'd ride him in a race several times, but at the <laughs> last minute, oh, I'm sorry, Joe. And you know what? We turned for home in that grade one. Bill Perry had the faith to keep me on formal gold, and we turned for home, and we shook off Skipaway that day. That I was like, it's all worth it right there. Now, formal gold, he, he was a hard-knocking horse. He, he, he was a tough hombre. Yeah, he was, the first time I went to Dubai was with him, um, and I just don't think he liked the surface that day, but he was one of the favorites in the World Cup that afternoon. And uh, he ended up running like fifth in the race. Um, and like I said, I don't think he got a hold of the, the Sandy track, uh, but he was probably one of my tastes of one of my first great horses I've sat on, let's put it like that. And once you get a taste of a good horse, it's pretty fun. You always want to look for another one to fill his shoes. Now, this year, obviously, was a great year. You won the Breeders' Cup uh, with Blue Prize, and, and that had to be tremendous. That was just a different level. I mean, I've been riding for over 30 years and not to win a Breeders' Cup, and then this year it got so surreal. As the race unfolded, it just felt like she was dragging me along, and it was going to happen. It was getting done, and, you know, we crossed the wire, Boom! It happened. It got so surreal to me. It was that was pure emotion, and that yeah, was that was fun. Uh, some some stuff you'll never forget. And, and that that moment was it. Must have felt so much different than all those other moments. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, because I guess when something comes easy, it's you don't respect it as much. Um, it's something that I tried for a lot of years to try to, I mean, it's the Breeders' Cup race. It's what you work for. It's our Super Bowl at the end of the year. Uh, it's our World Series. It's, I, I, I was able to do it. I mean, when you're a young rider and it happens so easily, I guess you don't really appreciate it as much. Um, uh, I did. I appreciated it. Now, when did you start riding her? How early in her career did you start riding her? I rode her a couple of years before uh, that. Uh, first time I rode her was in the Spinster. It came in the year before. And if you remember that afternoon, it was kind of a wild race. I'd never seen her before. I knew she had a lot of talent. Uh, and Ignacio tells me in the paddock before the race that, Joe, you got to watch out. She'll make the lead. And she'll kind of wait on horses. And if you remember that year, we turned for home, and she opened up a couple length lead, and she bolted to the outside. She was in, like, the 10 path coming across the wire, and it really made it dramatic, but she knocked out the grade one that race, and she was able to come back, and this year she won the Spinster again to come back to win the Breeders' Cup. Uh, so it was a two-year fun ride with her. Uh, I really cried when I heard they sold her, but she went to a great home uh, with Larry Best purchase her 
at the last sale after the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, and that's got to be, you know, I was looking at the chart when you wrote her in the spinster, and, you know, the comment is shy, ducked out in the stretch. And when, when a horse does that, and you can straighten them out, that, that's a good job of riding, I got to tell you, not to make you feel good, but that's, that, that's tough. Yeah, it's, it's something that, man, it, it just happens so quickly that you just, there's no thinking involved. You better just react. <laughs> there's no thinking at all in a process like that. Uh, I hate to go into this subject, but we're having a, an issue with uh, the riding crops at this moment. Can you imagine that day if I didn't have a riding crop on her that afternoon? I would have been sitting in the grandstand that day. Um, it looks you, like you know, you, you You actually took the words out of my mouth because, and, and I've never seen you abuse a horse, you know, and I've, watched you pretty much your whole career. I've never seen you abuse a horse, but you you know how to use the stick to control a situation. I've seen you with horses that have tried to get out on you, and, and you, you, you're tapping their shoulder and working them. But could you imagine if you didn't have a stick? There's no way. But uh, you know what? In my thinking like that, and tell you the truth, if you hurt a horse with the riding crop, they'll go another direction from you. They'll stop running. So when you try Absolutely. to hurt a horse, they don't run. They, they actually stop. They don't want the pain. Horses are a horse. They're, they're animal of flight. They want to be scared. The, the, the noise, the rhythm, that's what keeps them running and going. But if you hurt a horse and you hit them in the wrong way, they're, they're going to completely stop running. It's not whipping a horse to get them to, you know, hurt. It's getting them to go forward, like mashing, you, you know, direction, encouragement. Yeah, and you see so many people not understand that. You know, uh, I saw something, and, you know, social media is brutal to our sport. Uh, I saw somebody show a picture of a horse with a welt, you know, from like 20 years ago. Well, it's a different world. We don't we don't they use those kind of sticks anymore. So, they, they changed the whips so many times since when I first started riding. Before, it was just a leather on a and yeah, it's painful. And you hit a horse like like that, they 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 won't run. But now they made exactly. them so cushioned. It's almost like getting hit with like you know those uh, I guess those pool noodles. I guess they're called. But you stop a pool noodle, they're they're loud, but they they don't. Let's put it like this: I rode a lot of races. That many times I've been hitting many times in the race, not on purpose, but accidentally you hit each other riders many times. I get back to the jock room and I don't have a well on me. I might have been hit in a race, but there's no marking afterwards. And a horse's skin is so much more thicker than ours, and that's where I kind of think about it all. Now you 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 hand ride a lot though. You know, I again watching you 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 use your hands a lot, but you're right. If there's a situation where it's and. And Blue Prize is a perfect example because she's a big, strong mare. She was powerful. Yeah, she wants you know, to do something. She, she's going to do it. She was that typical Argentinian mare. Yeah. You know, and could, I, I, could, I couldn't imagine having the courage to race ride a horse like that without a stick. I, I don't think I could. I mean, you, you want to ride those big races, but riding a filly that's already tough to manage without one, Wow. <laughs> good, good luck to the rider that's going to do that, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'm out of town that day, right? Yeah. 
yeah. pretty much. Uh, so come now, you mentioned the spring as well. You know, we're getting to that time of year. What are you looking forward to? What do you have going? Well, that's one thing. I'm down here at Gulfstream Racetrack now, and some of the best horses in the country are all stabled in South Florida, Palm Meadows, and here. And you look for the two-year-olds from the three-year-olds at this moment. Uh, you know, it's such a tough game. I thought I had a very nice one for Karen McLaughlin Godolphin, uh, run just in a mucho macho man, a horse called Ashar. First time right. out was the most impressive winner. Come back, had a very good, honest excuse, uh, breathing. It kind of went over it, and this other day is kind of let down. But that's the tough part of the game. You don't know where the next good one's going to come. Uh, so you just try to be out there hunting and looking for him. This horse, he has the potential to be one of those top horses, but it's going to be a little of a puzzle, this horse, to try to figure out to get that talent that he showed back in his first race to show up again in this afternoon. Um, well, if there's anybody that can, Karen can. Karen's the greatest horse than there is. I mean, he really and he gives me such good insight before a race and he's just remarkable look what he's done with all the great he's one of those guys that just understands what he's training i mean he's incredible i agree with you yep now so you have you have that one any anything else on the horizon no it's one of the big things here at gulfstream park one of my favorite races is made in special weight seven eighths to a mile on the dirt so many good horses come out of that race for the springtime that you have to go to the paddock and watch these horses before. It's like looking at young athletes growing up and who's developing earlier and who's developing later. Uh, you just don't know who's going to come out of the maiden special races here at Gulfstream, and it, it makes it really fun part of the game. Yeah, and that run, run out of the shoot really kind of gives you a feel for what they're all about, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's a six furlong sprint race. There's so many things that could happen, and you don't really get much out of it. A lot of times they're running scared, running anxious, and the horse doesn't really show his true strides until they get some more distance underneath them. And then uh, it really shows who the champions come out. Yeah, you can let them settle yeah. a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and you know, that first race in Saturday in May, it's got a lot of distance, too. That's a mile and a quarter that we're all praying for. Well, ho- hopefully we see you on TV that first Saturday in May this year. Well, right, well, let's cross our fingers and see what tomorrow brings, right? Yep. Now, Joe, thank you for joining us. We're going to let you go on your day off. Uh, there will be a gift from us uh, in the jocks room uh, in the next few days uh, from well, thank you. Racetrack Supply, one of our sponsors. Uh, Laura, you'll drop that one off, I guess, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, you guys are off. And, uh, again, we appreciate you coming on the show. Say hello to your dad for me and tell him to keep bragging about you. <laughs> That's really. I'm really glad you told me that story. I'm going to call him when I get off the phone. Uh, appreciate everything, guys. Thanks for loving no, the He, 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 he was do. so good, you know. And as a father, I could I could totally relate. And you should be very <laughs> pr- proud to have him as your dad. <laughs> hey, oh, hey, one, one last question: Your grandfather yes. was a jockey. Yes. Now, where did he ride? <laughs> you know, he rode in Cuba. Uh, he rode in Cuba a lot of his races, and he came up and he was in Jersey for a short time, but. That was a while ago, but he's galloped horses to his late ages. Uh, he's like in the 60s, and he was still getting on horses in the mornings here at Gulfstream and uh, called the race course and all. So you are truly bred to be a jockey, and <laughs> we hope to see you in the Hall of Fame sooner rather than later. And uh, again, uh, Joe, a pleasure to visit with you. That means a lot. Guys, keep doing the work you're doing. We all love you out there. Thank you. Thank you. And that will just take a 
a quick break and we'll be right back. They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired at Old Friends. And here's commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. And here's commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever, or even a Breeders' Cup champ. Prize is surging, Sierra Roberto toward the inside, a driving finish in the turn, and here's the wire, and it is prized! Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. When you head to a horse sale, either looking to buy or sell, you really don't know what's going to happen. In the blink of an eye, horses can leave the ring undersold or overpriced. But what if there was a better way to ensure fair market price for both the buyer and seller? Here at the stable, this fall, we're offering just that. We offer the ability to see your yearlings hard at work while giving you a better chance to make informed decisions that are calculated, not spur of the moment. We'll also provide in-depth commentary from our trainers, blacksmiths, and veterinarians on how each horse is progressing. And we're back and with a very special guest, Niall Brennan from Niall Brennan Stables in Ocala, Florida. Niall, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Les. Good to have you. And Laura Allen is with me, and uh, she's actually one of your big big fans uh, because at our farm we have a couple of your alumni, and she always tells me of the group that we have, your horses are the best broke, best behaved. So... Well, that's nice to hear. Yep, and uh, no, we, we, we're we very lucky to have them. Uh, so how are you today? I'm very good, thanks. Good. Cold morning in Ocala. Well, it is a little brisk today, yeah, but uh, we put, it's been it's been very warm down here, you know, it's just, so we're, we were due to get a little bit of a change, but it's beautiful out now, it was just, we'll get a few cold mornings like that, and you can you can deal with that, there's no problem. Now, you don't still get on your two-year-olds, do you? God, no. No, they wouldn't let me on them anymore. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know, I know the feeling. I, but I might get on I, the I pony now and again. I feel bad for the kids that went on that first set this morning. Sorry? I feel feel a little bad for the kids that went out on the first set this morning. They probably uh, oh, yeah. got, got a little hop in their step. Well, that's the, the, when they're used to the warm weather, they, they, yeah, they think the world's coming to an end when you have a morning that's in the 30s, but... You know, we go up in Ireland and you ride out every day, and it's, it's just it's just normal for us. Whether it's raining or cold or whatever the weather is, they got to go. That's right. you. You grew up in Ireland, and you you started as a, as a jockey there. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, just uh, in my teen years. You know, I, I uh, my dad was a trainer, so uh, when I was out of school, I'd work uh, at the yard, and uh, and I had a, a jockey's license till I got too big. When I was about nineteen, I was going to be too big to be to go professional, so I uh, I rode over steeplechase. Um, you know, till I went to Australia uh, to work for a little while, and then I stopped race riding. And, and you were in Australia and New Zealand for a while, right? 
I was in Australia for about just over a year. Uh, yeah, just working for different trainers uh, before I came to the States. And then you came and you went to work at King, Kinsman uh, for uh, George Steinbrenner, right? Actually, I, I ended up, uh, I, when I came over, I, I went to Saratoga, uh, New York first when I got here just because I knew I'd know people from Ireland that were there for the yearling sales in August. Okay. Um, and that led, I was going to go back to Ireland after that and kind of would have had a, completed my round-the-world experience. But I was talked into going to Lexington, and I went down there. But I ended up staying in Lexington for a few years and uh, kind of expanded. I, I, it was an opportunity to expand uh, uh, my knowledge of the business, working with the studs uh, and the stud farms and uh, yearling sales and breeding industry in Lexington. And uh, But ultimately, I, my art was at the racetrack, and I went back to... Uh, to work for Carl Nasker at the time and was an assistant to him at the racetrack before I uh, went to work for Mr. Steinbrenner, which he hired me to come down here to, to Florida to be um, to be his trainer here at the farm. I, I didn't realize that you had worked for Carl. He's he's a great man. Carl is a, he's a wonderful man. He's, he's a great, uh, he's a, an excellent horseman and trainer and uh, and a philosopher too. Carl's uh, loved to, to talk to you about different his experiences in life and uh, you're a wonderful human being, and uh, I was very young at the time, and he put a lot of confidence in me, and I, I learned a lot you know, just working with him and um, um, enjoyed the time there, and um, I would have stayed with him a lot longer. I think it was just uh, the way, I'm not sure, it's just the way the, the, the things uh, opened up, and um, and uh, Mr. Steinbrenner's agents kept calling me to come work for him, so I kind of uh, seeded in the end and said I'll go and work for him for a year or so. That's how I ended up in Florida. And did you, at any point before that, think that you'd be doing consignment type of work or breaking two-year-olds, or how that morph? No, it just evolved um, kind of naturally at the time. You know, when I, I was for Mr. Simoner for three years, and uh, um, and then I just went out on my own, and um, it just kind of it, it, I connected up with. Uh, Carl Icahn's operation at the time, which was very large, uh, called Foxfield, and right. his manager Rob Whiteley, and they sent me all their yearlings. And uh, you know, at the first year, um, one of the, the yearlings uh, turned out to be Meadowstar, which ended up being the champion two-year-old. So it just opened up our business, and um, I, you know, it just evolved from there. My partnership with Mike Ryan, who's a, a, an excellent bloodstock agent uh, based in Lexington, Kentucky, and. We were good friends at the time, and we just kind of uh, teamed up, and it just seemed to evolve into buying some yearlings uh, to sell at the two-year-old sales uh, back in probably 1990. And at that time, the two-year-old sales were really evolving to be a, a very important vehicle in the horse industry and uh, in a way to identify and develop young two-year-olds um, to be you know, the next uh, level of... of uh, it was kind of like a combine for the... like the NFL would have or, or a boot camp for for great you know, young athletes. so And the two-year-old sales were taken off, and we just kind of uh, got on a roll doing that at the time, and our business just evolved uh, naturally through that. And thankfully, we were very blessed uh, to have some very good horses that uh, we put through the program, and that just kind of built, uh, that success just kept uh, building on itself. When you started, I, I want to just jump back if I could. When you started, your horses always looked good and they looked they looked stout they looked you know really kind of healthy fit horses and i'm wondering does did a lot of that come from your 
your youth in Ireland and then your time in Australia in, in bringing a horse in a little different way that most other people do? Well, I'm not sure there's, you know, different strokes for different folks. Um, I, I'd like to think I'm still learning today. Um, uh, I don't think you can ever close your mind, and certainly in business, certainly not around animals. No, especially in this <laughs> case, I, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think thinking back, I, I learned all the time, but I think it was uh, a lot of it would have come from my, I think, just uh, my upbringing in Ireland around the horses and around my, my family and, uh, and certainly the experience traveling the world in Australia. Uh, as regards, um, at the time, the nutrition and uh, conditioning methods, um, just different horses needed different things. Um, you know, not not everybody, it wasn't, you really couldn't have a, a custom program that every horse fit, you know. I think uh, good horses come in all shapes and sizes. There's not a particular type of athlete that you can just say is, uh, that's that's the one right there. You know, they can fool you very easily and, uh, but the athleticism has to be there. But I think the regards to the nutrition program and the developing program, I think you just had to watch them every day, and, and we figured it out as we went. You know, if we made mistakes, we try to learn from them. Um, and I think, you know, our motto in the business of success is no accident, and, and, and I truly believe that. I don't think, you know, you have to pay attention to detail every day. Um, you know, what what works for one horse may not work for another one. Um, and, and I said we look for that in the program, and, and you put a good team together, and, and um, like in any business, um, I think it, it takes that. It takes many eyes looking at uh, those athletes every day and, and figuring out what plans work and what don't. Well, I think that prescriptive type of training or, or developing of a horse actually adds so many miles to that horse in the long run, doesn't it? Well, I think so. Yeah, a good foundation is very important in any athlete, so mental and physical. Um, you know, all are good uh, athletes in any sport, whether it's on track and field or football, basketball, baseball, hockey. But they all evolve through their, you know, their teen years into into college and and on so on. You know, I think uh, so. It's 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 how they're developed that that really matters. But you've got to develop that talent. Um, and I think that you know today. I think, you know, certainly the horses are a little different than they were 50 years ago. I think, you know, whether we've, however we've evolved, but the attrition rate is, is, a, is obviously an issue today. So I think having a good foundation mentally and physically is very important, you know, and, and identifying, um, just building their bone and, um, and strengthening their body so that because the, the demands uh, of, of any athlete in any sport at the top level is, is huge. It's not just horse racing, but they have to be properly conditioned to withstand the rigors of everyday racing. Now, you, you mentioned nutrition. Do you feed out of the bag, or do you guys create your own feed program, or how do you handle that? No, I think we've, 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 we've evolved today to enough to have great commercial feeds out there uh, that are a complete feed. Uh, you don't need to kind of go back to the 100 years ago where you had to, you know, feed a handful of oats and corn and barley and bran and whatever else you wanted to throw in there. So we uh, wouldn't expect Stephanie to be at the barn at 6 o'clock at night cooking for them instead of for the family, right? Uh, exactly, and she would if she had a choice. Believe me, she'd rather be down there <laughs> feeding them than me. She'd but, probably get more gratification. Uh, yeah, no, you don't have to. I mean, as I said, there's great uh, feed companies out there today and the science behind it now. Um 
um, is that there's a, the, the, you can get it all basically in a bag. I mean, that doesn't mean that people don't want to, uh, that they're necessarily wrong to want to give extra supplements um, for particular issues, you know. Um, and then that's, uh, the, the supplement market is, is big. Again, it's whether it's in, in, um, uh, in, on the human side or whether it's on the animal side. Uh, that's still the same. But nutrition is important. I think it's, it's figure out that you, what you put in, you get out. About how many do you bring through the farm during a single crop? Well, we probably, at this time of year, is our, our peak, of course, you know, November, December, and then in the spring, um, till the tools start shipping out, whether they're going to two-row sales or going to the trainers at the racetrack. So we probably peak out around 200 um, wow. uh, on the farm, at, which is max for us. We're, um, you know, we're completely at... Uh, but it is whether some when there's some leave, there's way, others waiting to come in. Whether it's for training or whether it's for a little R and R, you know, a lot of horses. We have a lot of clients who like to give the horses a break and give them a rest, a little vacation. At, especially this time of year, the turf horses maybe that from New York and up north might get a little break. And so we we kind of, uh, as I said, the summers are a little quieter down here, uh, relatively in July and August. But uh, we build up and crank up in September and. October through May, we're, we're, we're really busy, and um, you know, we're blessed to have the business, certainly, and we've got a lot of great clients, and, and, and it's fun having that, having the new stock come in every year and, and see what we've got. Now, you've, you have people that have been with you for, well, since almost the beginning, right? Yeah, we've still got some of our staff that have. One of, the, one of my riders, uh, uh, Greg Smothers, Greg has been with me since, I, uh, since uh, 1987 when I uh, first taught him how to ride um, when he got out of the army, and um, he, he's still with me. He worked for me at the Strack of Mr. Steinbrenner, and he's been with me ever since. And we still have a few of our um, our management staff, our foremen that have been with us for 15 years or 20 years, maybe even. Um, and a lot of our grooms, a lot of our riders have been with me for 10 years plus. Um, they're vitally important, you know. It's uh, it's one of the challenges of having a big operation is, is having the staff and getting enough good staff. Um, especially in the horse business, you know, it's, it's trend. It, we, I mean, it's, we transition down here from winter to, to, to summer where summer isn't as busy. So we have a lot of staff that, um, come over on work visas, uh, from Europe, from Australia, from South America, Mexico. Um, and it's vitally important. Uh, these are, many of them are great horsemen and they come over and they come from just from first of October till middle of June. Um, and without them, we just wouldn't be able to, to operate. There's just no way. We just wouldn't have a staff. And, and your family is involved. You know, I, I mentioned Stephanie and now your son, Colin, he, he's becoming more and more involved. Am I correct? Yes. Colin's my, my assistant now. He's very involved in the program and, you know, he just kind of, uh, by, by osmosis, I guess he, he was around it growing up, but he was also at other interests. And, uh, when he got out of college, um, he was fortunate enough to uh, be accepted into the Darley Flying Start program, which uh, is sponsored by Sheikh Mohammed. And it's a two-year program where they um, basically choose 12 students from around the world. And they take those two, the 12 students and educate them for two years um, in different parts of the world. You know, they're, they're in Europe, uh, America, Australia, the Middle East. Um, and it was a great program. And when he... And he came out of that he was so much more mature and focused on the horse business and wanting to be in it 
and do the best you could to make a difference. And so he's very involved now in the program. And that's got to be very exciting for you, you know, to see him kind of develop and fl- flourish in, in the industry. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. It's, it's great having him around. Um, um, you know, it, it, I think it's a tough industry. Had he chosen a, a different path, I would have been just as happy and supportive for him. But it, it is, um, you know, I think it's you always wonder, wonder uh, the business you're in if it's it's it's, it's not a it's a challenging business and it's not an easy life. You know, it's 365 days a year. Horses don't stop. You know, and uh, for holidays, so it, it is a challenging, but it's also extremely rewarding and it's a passion. I think you know, it's not just a job. And, and for many young people that are in the business, it's a passion. They just love being around animals and, in particular, horses. And um, whether they're riding them on their backs or whether they're working on the ground or in whatever capacity, and they're just excited about it. And, and uh, I'm glad to see that there's so many young people still in the business and excited about the future. I think there's a new wave coming, don't you? Well, there is, and there's certainly there's some uh, organizations that they've um, that they've formed now too, uh, based out of Lexington and even in Florida, where a lot of the the younger generation, the millennials, have gotten together um, to um, you know kind of put their voice forward as regards the the concerns that the industry that are within the industry and how to move forward and how to how to survive in any competitive uh, sport. Um, and it's, but it's great to see it because they get together a couple of times a year, a few times a year, uh, at conferences, and and they kind of brainstorm and and come up with very practical ideas about how we can keep um, interacting with the rest of the, the the community and the world with regard to because uh, it's such a global sport, um, and it's great. To, and that's where the program, the Dolly Flying Start, you know, with these these students from different countries around the world every year, and they get together, and of course they're together for two years, so they become very good friends, and they interact well, and then they can com- keep in communication. Um, you know, whether it's somebody in Australia, in or America, or or England, or France, China, um, they're they're all still interacting, and and it's it's an amazing global industry that you can go anywhere in the world and work with horses. This is true, and you know, as as you watch racing from various different countries, it's amazing how so much is the same, whether it's in Australia or here or wherever. And, and so the skill, I think, is transferable when, when these kids are learning, you know, here or abroad. They can come wherever they need to, and they're still, they're still good horsemen. Oh, there's, there's no question. There, there, many of the, the younger generation love traveling. We've had several... Uh, trainees come over from Japan, um, and they're they're very smart. They uh, the bigger operations in Japan for years have been sending their 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 young folk over to Europe and to Australia and to America to study under some of the, the trainers and the farms, whether it's in the breeding end or on the racing end. And they've just uh, they they do it for that very purpose of gaining more knowledge and applying it back in Japan. And they're very very smart, and they've got a great industry in Japan now, very successful. Um, and they've got some of the better bloodlines from around the world that they've identified by having their staff work there. Um, and it's not unusual. There's many Irish for years and years have traveled to America that are in the horse industry. There's always great opportunities in America. <clears throat> and uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly an example of that. But, uh, but many of them do return to Ireland, maybe come over here for a year to train uh, with an operation and then on a work visa or a trainee visa and then go home. 
um, you know, I was blessed that just one thing led to another, and I still, you know, made my American went home, but it was a dream come true. I mean, when I arrived in, in America, I literally had $10 left in my pocket from traveling, but I didn't worry about that at the time. I just got to travel around the whole world, and I wouldn't have got to do that in any other vehicle but the horse business, um, where it was safe, and I always had a job, and uh, and I've got to experience so many things. Um, you know, I, and I think today many of the young people are still doing that. You can come from South America here. We've had uh, we've had uh, some young vets come up to study with us. Uh, we've had people from Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Ireland, England, France, uh, and even Germany a few weeks ago. Um, so it's, it is a global industry. And, you know, you, a few minutes ago you mentioned passion, and I wanted to just talk about something that I know you're very passionate about. And, and you've always been involved in just about everything in the industry, from the Breeders' Cup to the sales companies. But the thing that I think that you're probably very, very passionate about is the Ocala Farm Ministry Program. Certainly. You know, I think uh, the Ocala Farm Ministry is, is involved. It was kind of an offshoot of the racetrack chaplaincy of America, the RTCA. Um and it's, it's really um, Chaplain Bob and, and the board is, uh, are very passionate about helping all the young folk in the industry and, and many of the, uh, any, many of the, the employees that are, are um, under, um, you know, maybe 30,000 in Florida, but um, many of the employees and their families um, that are in, some people that are in, in need of help, um, whether it's spiritual or physical, um, there's many programs that are that are, are put through the chaplaincy, but probably the most important one is uh, all the kids programs. And uh, and there's there's it's it, there's many of the Hispanic community that take advantage of it uh, because there's English lessons, there's Bible studies, there's uh, there's soccer programs for all kids, um, and, and it's 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 kind of we 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 uh, have a one fundraiser every year. Um, and the, the community are very supportive of it. And out of Chaplain Bobby makes the rounds. It's not like we're at a specifically at one racetrack. He's got a lot of, of ground to cover in Ocala and Marion County, where there's over over 600 farms. So there's, it, but we do have one central area, um, and it's it, there's a lot of activities there in the evenings. Um, so it's 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 um, it's just a way of us giving back. I think in the community. And mainly for the young folk, you know, we've got a college scholarship program set up for the um, children of the farm employees uh, specifically so that we can try and encourage many of them uh, to go on to college um, after high school here in, in this area. Um, and it's working out great. You know, it's, it's growing every year. Um, but, it, it, again, it's, uh, it's you know, we're, we're involved in many of the programs uh, like that and, and in the aftercare program for the horses and the same thing. Uh, it's just, a, you're, we're involved. You can't get away from it. It's, uh, we're, we work with these people. So everyone's really on the same team and we're just trying to accomplish the same goals. And whenever there's somebody in need, you'd like to know that there's a, that there is somebody there to reach out and, and have a hand. I think that's one of the great things about our industry is, and it's a tough, it's a tough game, right? There's no denying this is a tough game, but when somebody's in need, it seems like, the the industry is always there for that, and what you're doing with the the chaplaincy program and the ministry program in Ocala, I think, is so important. You know, so many, so so many of these families, you know, 
it, it's I hate to use it, but it's foreign to them. You know, they're in a, a different place and different language and so much going on. And they need somebody. And, and I think the ministry program provides that. Yeah, I think it does certainly provide a lot of support. And um, Chaplain Bob uh, Miller and his wife, Dee, are, are wonderful people and great human beings. And they're both bilingual, which is obviously a huge help in this area where many of the many of the staff are Hispanic. Um, and whether they speak uh, English or, or some are broken English, but it's still very helpful that they can go to the chaplaincy anytime that they've got concerns or, or issues that they're, that they need help with. Um, they feel more comfortable dealing with them. Um, but it's, you know, you always, you'd like, look, we live in a tough world today, but you you always want to still believe in the good in humanity and that whenever there's somebody in need, that people do step up. And I, I believe that, uh, in general, whether and the, the chaplains use just our specific example of how we do it within our community, um, within the equine community here. But it's it's same. It's true of the racetrack chaplaincy divisions around the country that are based at the racetrack specifically. Um, but whereas we're more just Marion County, Ocala, where there's no actual specific racetracks per se. It's all the farms, so it's a larger area to cover, um, and and the needs are greater, obviously. But we've, uh, we've I think we've managed to keep up. I think it's great. We're we're going to be doing a Florida show uh, up ahead here, and maybe we can get you and and the people from the ministry program on for, to do a segment with us because every, everybody knows about the racetrack chaplaincy program, and there are very specific on track needs. But what you guys are doing, I think, is a little bit different and a little bit a little bit more complex. Well, there's more to cover. Yeah, I mean, Chaplain Bob, you know, he's he administers at weddings, funerals, uh, christenings, uh, English classes. Um, he's got um, a substance abuse program that's uh, available, uh, counseling program. Um, they've got uh, oh, I think we've a couple, a few different, a couple of times a year, they've got uh, an arrangement with some of the. Um, medical community in town to offer some free screenings for people like the dentistry or uh, our doctors that will come and, and, and give of their time and we try to set things like that up and um, so there's there is a there is a wider need he's never not busy um, and then again his wife uh, has a counseling class once a week uh, for for the women of the community and the young young teenagers uh, that are going through issues or may not know where to turn for advice. Um, and she's a wonderful lady, and and, uh, and she's very warm and welcoming. So I think that there's there's many times that I think that, that people just want to sit down and talk. And and uh, look, that doesn't matter where you are in life or what business you're in. But I think you have to you have to look within your own community and start somewhere. And maybe that the farm chaplaincy does that in in Marion County and tries to address those needs of, of people that are a little lost or and just in need of help. Well, I know that many people appreciate it, and you, you've been working hard at giving back to the community. Your whole family has, and it, I'm sure it's appreciated. And anything that the show can do to help, you know, we, we'd love to. Uh, before we go, I just wanted to congratulate you. You guys had a wonderful 2019 uh, with some uh-huh. great, great, great results at the, both the sales and the races. And, 
Well, I think yeah. they've, they've, Good, I'm sorry. they've been very, very fortunate. Lads. We've have certainly been very blessed and fortunate to have a clientele and and, um, and even the horses that have come through our program and um, that have been lucky enough to go on and, and, and do very well. And that's that's our whole focus, really, is that um, you're trying to do the best you can uh, developing this young talent and that they can go on and compete at the highest level. Um, and it's, you know, the... the um, and it is tough. The horse industry is very competitive. I mean, they're uh, wherever you go. But if you want to, if you want to compete at the top level on the top racetracks, uh, at, the, at the top end of the sport, and um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have uh, uh, two Kentucky Derby winners through the program, and a, a Belmont winner, and some British Cup winners. And say so it's it, it, it's obviously extremely satisfying to our whole program, to our whole crew, that take a lot of pride in that, and um, um, trying to work closely with the. The trainers at the racetrack that uh, that that we kind of send the horses on to, and you know it's not it's a, it is a tough game because there's it's you have to enjoy the highs because there are a lot of lows there are a lot of yeah you know, like any athlete there's injuries that you have to put up with you've got talented stock that may have an issue or a setback and you missed your top races and so it's it, there's a, there's a window there where things can really go right or go wrong so it's it's a, it's an emotional roller coaster you've got to you I think you have to you really have to love what you're doing because it is it is a tough game. You know, there's the old saying, right? One minute, one minute you have chickens, the next minute you have feathers, and that that describes the horse business so well. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's what I said. I think so. Many many people are are, are passionate when they're involved, and uh, whether it's in horse ownership or even just the fans of the sport, uh, that that you have your reason for for following and for being involved. Um, but I think there's there's nothing like spending a day around around the horses themselves where you get to go to the racetrack up in Saratoga in New York in August and it, it, it July it's it's so wonderful because it's all open and the backside is open people come around and and visit and can go around and tours in the backside and be around the horses and you know it's there's there's not a, nothing else that you can really equate to that you, you know you can't it's very difficult to go and sit in the locker room with your favorite team every time or, or get up close to them and uh but when you're around animals and you're that close to horses, there's just something so captivating about it, um, and and just the natural way that they have, and, and being around, watching them grow at the farm, and their natural competitiveness racing each other in the field. It's fun to watch the young horses at home because they'll do that. You know, you turn them all out together; they just love racing each other and seeing who's the best. And uh, we just take that uh, another level uh, uh, when they hit the racetrack. Well, we're going to keep watching for. Your graduates, and uh, during the sales season, hopefully we can get you back on with us. Again, thank you for being on the show. Send our regards to Stephanie, and uh, we'll be sending out a gift from the from Racetrack Supply. And, uh, again, we'd love to have you back on. Well, thank you. Uh, it was enjoyable to talk to you. Same here. S- see you soon. Take care. Happy New Year. And, and thanks for joining us on the Equisport Radio Network. We'll be back with you next Monday at 1 o'clock Eastern.